3: Today is Wednesday, July 19, 2023, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Carly Russell says she saw a baby walking along a busy Alabama highway in a diaper before being taken against her wheel and held captive. Yet, Hoover, Alabama police say internet searches and purchases she made leading up to her disappearance cast doubt actually happened. we'll play for you today's news conference in this strange and perplexing story a racial discrimination and sexual assault lawsuit is filed by student athletes against northwestern university in chicago today their attorney ben crump stood alongside the former athletes while they described what happened to them in the athletic locker room the naacp out of virginia wants to look at governor glenn youngkins criteria to restore the voting rights of convicted felons the president of the Virginia Conference of the NAACP, will be here to explain. Greenwood Inc., a black-owned digital banking platform, is being sued by the co-founders, by co-founder of The Gathering Spot, a famous private club for black professionals. They say they have not been paid. We'll break down the details of this multi-million dollar mess with a reporter in Atlanta covering the case. Delta Sigma Theta's 56th National Convention is in Indianapolis celebrating 60 years of their Social Action Commission. Sorority's President Elsie Cook-Holmes will talk to to us uh, about Vice President Kamala Harris delivering the keynote address. In addition, today, uh, they also initiated their new honorary members. Hopefully she'll tell us who they are. Uh, Also, folks, uh, in our Tech Talk segment, the fan base app is reaching new heights. The founder, Isaac Hayes III, here to update us on their uh, fundraising uh, initiative. And Florida, did they actually say that formerly enslaved people were able to develop a skill set to help them personally in slavery? Y'all, they literally put this in the history books. These people are despicable. We'll break it down as well. It's time to bring the funk, a roller unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
0: Let's go.
4: He's got whatever the miss, he's on it.
5: Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's
6: right on time. and it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from spots to news to politics.
3: When Carly Rosso came up missing, the nursing student led a lot of people all over Alabama to begin the search for her. People all across the country were demanding uh, that folks look after her. A a major search was underway. A couple days later, she shows up at home. Her family said, give them time. Her brother said she fought her abductors and fought for her life, excuse me, her boyfriend. Said that. Well, today, Hoover, Alabama Police held a news conference that cast significant doubt on this and essentially laid out that this was likely a hoax. This is what happened today with Police Chief Nicholas Dursis.
7: This investigation is not over. We're still working this case, and we'll work in this case until we uncover every piece of evidence that helps us to count for the 49 hours that Carly Russell was missing. However, through the public interest, in some cases, public fear that this story has generated, we owe it to our citizens to tell them the facts that we have uncovered. So I will give you the facts that we know today. On July 13th, at approximately 8.20 p.m., Carly left work from a business at the summit. Surveillance video from her place of employment shows Carly concealed a dark-colored bathrobe a roll of toilet paper, and other items belonged to the business prior to her departure. She ordered food from Tzatziki's at the Colonnade and traveled there. She then traveled to Target on 280, where she purchased some granola bars and Cheez-Its. From there, she remained in the parking lot at that shopping center until 9.21 p.m. when she drove to I-459. Carly communicated on her cell phone with individuals known to her while on her path of travel up to the point of calling 911 at 9:34 p.m. and at this time we will play the 911 call in its entirety
6: I'm on interstate 459 and there's a kid just walking by their cell. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Where, where are, down are you? Um, um, I'm right next to the exit, exit 10 by the counter bed, like you got by the Okay, so you're before the exit? Yes. Okay, and were you, you head south down or north down? Okay, so we Four subclusives. Okay. And with the child on the right side, on the right side, they walking northbound uh, they're walking north mm-hmm. or down They're walking in four are the they're right. And with the like, car there, like, three or four of if you go over with them, or you with them, see? Are you with now? They're on, the, right side of the car. <laughs> Do you mind I mean, do you know what Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. are you the different I mean it's a, a today. Yeah. Did you use anything you know? No. no. they look like they're injured? Well they I is a man female? I think it's a boy, a little boy. Is my female? okay, so yeah. clothes? Yes. What is he wearing? It am he doesn't look like he has any looks I mean, like a diaper. And you don't see any cars anywhere? No, no cars anywhere. Your name, my name is Harvey You don't No, no, but I can't really see that I did. Okay, try to see on the foot, but um, I No, not I can't really see that. Look i after speaking
7: the way, okay? <laughs> a relative after speaking with a 911 operator. She went missing during that conversation sometime after 9.36 p.m. traffic camera detected this portion of the incident. That footage was as part of the investigation in conjunction with the 911 call and cell phone data to accurately determine the time timeframe. Carly's 911 call remains the only report of a child on the interstate, despite numerous vehicles passing through the area at that time. No one has called to report that a child is missing, and that the Houston police department did not locate any evidence of a small child walking down the interstate. Data from Carly's phone, including her Life 360 app, shows that she traveled approximately 600 yards in a vehicle while she was on the phone with 911 stating that she was following a child. 600 yards, that is six football fields straight, 600 yards. The Hoover 911 Center received a second call from Cardi's mother stating that a relative was on the phone with her when they heard Cardi scream and then they had an open phone line the police officers arrived on the scene within five minutes of being dispatched. And several other officers arrived shortly. They located Carly's wig and cell phone in the grass near the vehicle. Her purse was located in the front seat of her vehicle, with her Apple uh, watch in the purse. The food she ordered for Z-Keys was also in the car. The items she purchased from Target, as well as the items taken from her place of employment, were not in the vehicle. Nor were they located anywhere around the scene. Hoover police deployed all available assets from the point in the search for Carter. Additional resources were called in to include our own drone unit, crime scene investigators, numerous detectives responded to the scene. Throughout the day Friday, officers from surrounded local and federal agencies assisted Hoover police in the search for Carly Russell. Officers returned to the scene on 459 for a thorough line search for evidence. K-9 teams from the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department responded to check for any sign of Carly, a child that she claimed to see, and anything else that could be considered evidence in this case. Those searches all turned up empty. Private citizens, including search parties organized by her family, friends, began looking everywhere that they could to find any trace. These searches took place throughout the day Friday, and again on Saturday, yielding nothing. At 10.44 p.m. on July 15th, the Uber 911 Center receives a call from Carly's residence stating that she returned home on foot. In subsequent investigations, detectives obtained surveillance footage of Carly walking down the sidewalk alone prior to arrive at her residence. She was conscious and speaking with paramedics when she was transported to UAB. Detectives were able to obtain a brief statement from her prior to being treated and released. During the statement, she told detectives that while driving down the interstate, she saw a baby walking down the side of the road and called 911. She stated when she got out of her vehicle to check on the child, a man came out of the trees and mumbled that he was checking on the baby. She claimed that the man then picked her up and she screamed. She stated he then made her go over a fence. She claimed he then forced her into a car. And the next thing she remembers is being in the trailer of an 18 wheeler. She stated that the male was with a female. However, she never saw the female, only hearing her voice. She also told detectives she could hear a baby crying. She told detectives the male had orange hair with a hot spot on the back. She said she was able to escape the 18 wheeler and fled on foot, only to be captured again and then put in a car. She claimed she was then blindfolded but was not tied up because the captors said they did not want to leave impressions on her wrists. She said that they took her into a house and made her get undressed. They took pictures of her, but she did not remember them having any physical or sexual contact. She stated the next day she woke up and was fed cheese crackers by the female. She said the woman also played with her hair, but could not remember anything else. At some point, she was put back in a vehicle she claims was able to escape while it was in the West Hoover area. She told detectives she ran through lots of woods until she came out near her residence. During this interview, detectives noted that Carly had a small injury to her lip and she claimed that her head was hurting. She also had a tear on her shirt. Detectives also noted that she had $107 cash in her right sock. Out of respect for Carly and her family, detectives did not press for additional information in this interview and made plans to speak with her in detail after giving her time to rest continue analyzing data from Callie's cell phone and was left behind the scene. We enlisted the help of the United States Secret Service in conducting this analysis. Part of what data includes several internet searches and in the days leading up to their disappearance, I think, are very relevant to this case. On July 11th at 7.30 a.m., the term, you have to pay for an Amber Alert was searched. On July 13th, At 1.03 a.m., the day of her disappearance, the term, how to take money from a register without being caught, was searched. On July 13th, at 2.13 a.m., the day of her disappearance, the term, Birmingham Bus Station, was searched. On July 13th, 2.35 a.m., a a search for a one-way bus ticket from Birmingham to Nashville was conducted with a departure date of July 13th. On July 13th at 1210 p.m., a search for the movie Taken, a film about a production, was conducted. There were two searches related to Amber Alerts on a computer at Carly's place of employment, including one regarding the maximum age of an Amber Alert. There were other searches on Carly's phone that appeared to shed some light on her mindset but out of respect for her privacy, we will not be releasing the content of those searches at this time. We've asked to interview Carly a second time, but not been granted that request. As you can see, there are many questions left to be answered, but only Carly can provide those answers. What we can say is that we've been unable to verify most of Carly's initial statement made to investigators, and we have no reason to believe that there is a threat to the public safety related, related to this particular case.
3: Alright folks, it's a whole lot we gotta unpack. We'll do so with our panel next after uh, this break. Folks, uh, be sure to be watching YouTube. Hit the like button uh, so we can uh, exceed a thousand likes in the first hour. Also, don't forget, download our Blackstar Network app, Apple Phone, Android Phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also support our Brina Funk Fan Club. Uh check in money orders to P.O. Box 57196 Washington, D.C. 20037-0196 six cash app Dallassan RM unfiltered PayPal are Martin unfiltered. Venmo is R-M Unfiltered. Zell is Roland at RolandSMartin.com, Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. And be sure to remember, you can watch our 24-hour streaming channel uh, on Amazon News by simply going to Amazon Fire. You can also say, Alexa, play news from Black Star Network. And you can also uh, watch us on Plex TV. And so simply go to Plex, search for Black Star Network, uh, find us under Live TV News and Opinion. And don't forget, get a copy of my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds, available at Bookstores Nation Wide, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. Also, you can download a copy on Audible. We'll be right back.
5: For decades, the tobacco industry has deliberately targeted black communities and kids with marketing for menthol cigarettes. It's had a devastating impact on black health. Tobacco use claims 45,000 black lives every year. It's the number one cause of preventable death. In the 1950s, less than 10% of black smokers used menthol cigarettes. Today, it's 85%. Menthol cools and numbs the throat, making it easier for kids to start smoking. Menthol also increases addiction, making it harder for smokers to quit. Menthol cigarettes are a big reason why black Americans have a harder time quitting smoking and die at higher rates from smoking-related diseases like cancer, heart disease, and stroke. It's time to stop Big Tobacco from profiting off black lives. An FDA ban on menthol cigarettes will improve black health, save lives, and protect future generations from addiction. Learn more at tobaccofreekids.org banmenthol.
3: Black Star Network is here. Oh, no punch! A real
2: uh, revolutionary right now. Uh,
6: thank you for being the voice of black America.
2: All the momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home, you dig?
8: Hey, what's up? It's Sammy Roman. Hey, it's John Murray, the executive producer of the news show.
10: Work.
8: Sherry Shepard Talk Show. It's me, Sherry Shepard, and you know what you're watching, Roland Martin,
5: unfiltered.
3: All right, folks, my panel, Robert Botillo. He is the host of People Passion Politics on News & Talk 1380, WAOK uh, out of Atlanta, Rebecca Carruthers. She is vice president, Fair Elections Center out of D.C., a Scott Bolden, attorney and former chair, National Bar Association and the D.C. Chamber of Commerce PACs of D.C. as well. All right, Uh, Rebecca, a whole lot to unpack and digest here. Uh, If you look at social media, it's a bunch of pissed off black people uh, because there were a lot of people who organized and mobilized quickly uh, to demand uh, folks search for her. We know cases where black women come up missing and they don't get the same amount of coverage. Uh, That was not the case here. Authorities moved quickly Uh, And based upon what we've seen thus far, this was all a hoax.
11: You know, um, it's sad to say, but this doesn't look good. I'm glad that Carly is physically safe. Um, And I just wanna emphasize she's physically safe, but yes, there's a lot of mental health and other considerations and uh, undergoing evaluation and treatment that's gonna have to um, happen the next few days and even into the coming months. Um, what's really sad about this is on social media, you know, people are comparing this to um, Jesse Smollett and what happened, you know, a few years ago with him claiming to go the subway in the middle of the night on a cold, wintry, blizzard filled night in Chicago. Um, but like you said, there we also know that, Black women and girls, Hispanic women and girls, and indigenous women and girls go so severely underreported um, and missing across um, this country, as well as resources aren't um, used or targeted towards um, the effect of um, finding and returning them back to their um, friends and family. Um, this situation is very sad. I know we're gonna find out more in the next coming um, days. But, you know, I I really do feel
3: for the young woman, and I do hope she gets the help um, that she needs. Uh, Let me say this here, um, Robert. uh, I've seen a lot of Black folks uh, on social say, oh, my goodness, this hurts our race. Uh, This hurts uh, when there's a real case where a Black woman is gone missing or abducted. This is just not right. Let me remind people, of what took place last year go to my ipad california woman who admitted to faking her kidnapping sentenced to 18 months in prison sheriff sherry papini uh gained natural attention when she was missing for weeks and then they found her actually with her uh ex-boyfriend um she also said uh as you see the story here she eventually reappeared with an elaborate sto- elaborate story of being abducted by two hispanic men chained to a pole for three weeks, beaten and branded before being released by the side of a highway. She was actually, so while people were sitting here looking for her, she was actually, as the article says, she was actually was staying with a former boyfriend nearly 600 miles away in Southern California and had injured herself to back up the false statements. I don't recall anybody saying that, oh my God, this is devastating to the white race. I don't recall people saying, oh, my goodness, that this now means that the next white woman who comes up missing, folks are not going to look for her because of Sherry Papini. So black folks, pump the brakes. brakes. I I get in terms of what happens. But this ain't the 1920s and 30s when we got to deal with that BS, you know, your credit to your race. One black person does something. Is that reflective of all black people?
12: You're absolutely correct, Ro. And I think, well, I'm going to paint a silver lining around this as much as possible. Uh, Because what we have seen in the past is a lack of uh, media attention, a lack of uh, of law enforcement attention, a lack of public attention when it comes to missing black women and girls. Uh, That has been a problem that we have had. This time, that did not happen. We saw that social media was able to come together, push this story into the national forefront, push this into the national media to the point that you had the, the Today Show, and every other outlet covering this. For years, the only person covering uh, Black and Missing was you. This program was the only place that stories like this would be covered. Now we are seeing this uh, work its way into the National Zeitgeist. That means that the activism we've been working on has been effective. That means that the, the pushes that we have created in order to have the um, the American people and the uh, American media actually concentrate on the needs of Black women and, uh, and missing Black people uh, is being effective. Don't let Carly being a liar. She's going to have to go up under the jail for a while. She's she's going to serve her time. She's going to be punished for this. But don't let that take the... the, uh, Let's not lose the forest for the trees here and the fact that finally we're getting to a place where people actually will pay attention to these stories. And I think that the power of black Twitter to uh, blow these things up has to be harnessed, that the power of black social media and influencers to take stories like this and push them into the national forefront and be used for something good as opposed to something negative. I think we can take silver linings away from this. I don't want people to think of this as being a... Completely negative story just because this girl was lying um, to forget that this might benefit us going down the road. Scott, your assessment.
13: Uh, well, I'm not so sure, or I'm not going to rush that her story is false. As a former prosecutor and someone who's been in this space looking for missing people in New York and other places, let me say this: lies have no details, right? And right now, the police don't have any details; have these broad strokes of facts. They're looking for corroboration. Right now, they don't have it. Secondly, you can run, but you cannot hide. You cannot fake being missing. There's just too much technology, too many cameras, too much monitoring, right? So and you're not going to be good at it because it's not something that you do on a day to day basis. Thirdly, and most importantly, of that press conference, there were two. Uh, other uh, research items on her phone or on her computer that they would not disclose. What were they not disclosing? It probably had to do with mental health or something else that they're going to pursue, but they weren't ready to disclose it because it'll tie up the facts whether this is true or not. And so if it is a mental health issue, they couldn't disclose that anyway, but they're going to pursue that. And then secondly, we should wait to see... When and if that second interview is going to take place, because, you know, only Carly knows where she was, what she was doing, and who else was with her. And if she's mentally ill and faked all of this, if, then she'll also have the answer to that. If she makes the police put more time, money, and resources into piecing this thing together, it's more likely than less likely that if it was a hoax, she's going to be prosecuted
3: you know it is uh it it is a issue that we know this when it comes to black and missing um uh, rebecca that it is a problem and um and and the reality is that when one of these things happen it might cause folks to say oh my goodness hold up Let's, let's 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 pause here uh but the reality is until somebody has been found guess what? You treat it the way you treat it. Sure, uh, this white woman, Sherry Papini, uh, she faked her abduction, uh, but it doesn't mean that when the folks should not have been looking for her, people do crazy sorts of things. You had the woman in South Carolina, I forgot her name, Susan whatever, you know, who said black man tried to kidnap, her. she ended up drowning her damn kids. Uh, we've seen those examples uh, all the time as well. So Let's just be clear. White, white folks have blamed black people and Hispanics and others for tr- trying to harm them and it turned out to be erroneous. And so if this turns out to be erroneous that she blamed some white man, uh, she just goes down with the rest of the other folk who are white uh, who have actually lied about being kidnapped.
11: Yeah, and I think, to even Robert's point about the silver lining, the silver lining is that people united, they use their particular platforms, whether you are an individual influencer of just your your own family or friends, or if you're Cardi B and you have millions of people around the world um, who listen to the things that um, you send out and post on your social media. So I would just encourage people out there, like, hey, there are a lot of Black women and um, girls Children. Period. Who go missing every year? Um, there are many great partners who try to put out that type of information. So use your social media um, to as a platform to magnify to make sure that the thousands of Black women and children who are missing are found. Um, that their families are able to get some type of closure if it turns out that they're not be able to be um, found safely.
3: All right, folks. Can uh, I go to break? We come back. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the NAACP in Virginia. They are demanding answers from uh, Florida, uh, from uh, Virginia Governor uh, Glenn Youngkin when it comes to restoring the felon rights uh, uh, in that state. Also, uh, there's been a lawsuit now filed against Ron Sanders in Florida for his stunt where they, where they arrested uh, formerly incarcerated folks who registered to vote, and that was all bogus because the charters all got tossed because they were told they could vote. So we'll talk about both of those next, right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Blackstone Network.
0: My early days on the road, i learned, well, first of all, as a musician, uh, I studied not only uh, piano, but I was also drummer and percussion. I was all city percussion as well. So I was one of the best in the city on percussion. There you go. Also studied uh, trumpet, uh, cello, violin, And bass and any other instrument I could get my hand Mm -hmm. on. And 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 with that study I learned again what was for me. I learned to what what it meant to do what the instruments in the orchestra meant to each other in the relationships. Right. Right. So that prepared me to be a leader. That prepared me to lead orchestras and to conduct orchestras. That prepared me to know. Uh, to be a leader of men, they have to respect you and know that you know the music. You have to be the teacher of the music. You have to know the music better than any. There you go. Right, so you can't walk in unprepared.
8: On the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence.
6: White
3: people are losing their damn minds
1: Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Devon Frank. I'm
14: Dr. Robin B., pharmacist and fitness coach, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
3: All right, folks. In uh, Virginia, Governor Glenn Youngkin way is restoring the voting rights after criticism from the NAACP. He's deliberating some of the circumstances of the crimes, focusing on being less likely to favor those who use a firearm to commit a crime. Yonkers administration is accused of operating an increasingly slow restoration process, which could result in thousands of voters being blocked from participating in upcoming elections, drawing a lawsuit from the NAACP. Their lawsuit points out that Virginia has the fifth highest number of citizens disenfranchised for felony convictions. Black Virginians comprise under 20% of the state's voting age population, but account for nearly half of those disenfranchised due to felony convictions. Keep in mind, in Virginia, uh, this all goes back to the early 1900s, when a racist legislator literally said the reason they were passing these laws was to keep the darkies from voting. That is the origins of Virginia's racist felony disenfranchisement law. Robert Barnett Jr. is the president of the NAACP uh, conference in Virginia. He joins me now from Richmond. Robert, glad to have you here. Have you heard back from the governor's office?
15: Well, uh, Roland, we haven't heard back from the governor's office, although he did uh, come out with the statement you just made uh, indicating that um, the process is in place. I mean, what he's saying is that uh, people who are incarcerated get all of the information when they leave uh, the correctional facility. But that's not... That's not the procedure. What we want is the procedure for restoring rights. Let us know what that procedure is so we can communicate it and we can respond to um, persons who wants their rights restored.
3: Now, the previous governor, Terry McAuliffe, Democrat, um, he actually um, issued a blanket Um, uh, in terms of a a blanket clearance to allow people to vote. Then the Republicans sued, and they said, no, he had to do it individually. So he said, fine, I'll sign individual. So in Virginia, uh, it, it ebbs and flows depending upon who's
15: in the governor's mansion. That is correct. And the previous two governors have found ways to speed the process up. And if this governor wanted to do that, I believe he could do that. If the other two did it, why can't he do it? Give us the criteria so we can help uh, felons restore their rights and get back into the community. Once they're in the community, we know that they contribute vastly to uh, the economy and re-engaging in the community. And the right to vote is key to that. Um, you know,
3: when, and and what we're seeing again, this is one of those distinctions when I try to make clear to people and people say, oh, Republicans and Democrats, they are the same. This is one of those cases that are not. In nearly all cases, Democrats are likely going to support restoring the voting rights of those formerly incarcerated and Republicans typically are the ones who absolutely oppose it.
15: That is correct. And that's exactly what's happening here in Virginia. Here this year, all 140 seats are up for election. And we need everyone who's qualified to vote to do so. And restoration of rights to felons who have lost their rights is key to making sure that they have a voice in our democracy. That's what's happening, Roland. They do not have a voice in our democracy if the governor continue to slow down uh, re- the voting rights restoration process.
3: So when, you, so when you talk about a process, I mean, it's kind of simple. That is, all right, where do I file? What do I do? Do I write something like, for instance, in Florida, they have this commission the governor sits on where they literally will call people where they have to actually go personally testify. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, so what you're saying is that Gov- Glenn Youngkin does not have anything that's on a website or whatever that lays out how somebody who's formerly incarcerated, who's a who, who a, a formerly a felon, how they can try to get their voting rights back. It's just in the air.
15: It's just in the air, and that's what we foil the governor's office to ask: What is the process? give us a clear explanation of the reason why a person's application has been denied. We asked for the number of people who had applied, the number of people who were denied, the number of people whose applicants are still in the process, and we haven't gotten an answer as of yet. And so, again, that's why we're calling for a clear explanation of the steps that the applicant must take in order to get their rights restored. All
3: right, then, Robert Burnett, uh, Virginia NAACP, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, to our panel, in Florida, a lawsuit has been filed against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over the issue of voting. This is a political story. Go to my iPad. Florida and DeSantis blast over voter eligibility in a new federal lawsuit. The Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, uh, they have actually filed that lawsuit uh, in a federal court in Miami. Asserts, as the story suggests, says asserting the current process surrounding voter eligibility in the nation's third most popular state is unconstitutional and violates federal Voting laws, keep in mind the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, they were able to get the amendment passed to restore voting rights for those formerly incarcerated. Republicans then went back and said, oh, well, well, actually, people thought that what you really meant was they had to pay all of their fines before they actually get their rights back. Uh, Then the Republicans who packed the Supreme Court agreed with that as well. And so what you had is, then you had uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, who intimidated voters by having formerly incarcerated folks, a number of them arrested right before the election, saying that they had voted, voted unlawful. All those cases were thrown out by judges who said that was a lie. This is a perfect example, Scott, of what happens in, the, what happens in these states Uh, that are led by these Republican governors. And again, when people say, oh, both parties, they're the actual same, same," this is an example whether or not Republicans want to restrict voting, Democrats want to expand voting.
13: Well, the the Republicans want to constrict voting because they're the party of no, and they know they don't have enough votes straight up in order to win most federal elections. Maybe the state elections are very different. But Ron DeSantis is a piece of work. There is no limit to his meanness and what he wants to do. He gets empowered, I guess, by his voter base of Republicans by showing black people being arrested for exercising their right to vote, regardless of what the judiciary will say. Now, what's even worse about this is we know that black people don't have a great relationship with the police, so you create an environment where you issue an arrest warrant you send the police out to arrest a black man in front of his home, as your video indicated. And who knows what the circumstances will follow from there if they don't have their video cam on or if the uh, the, the, the person uh, runs or is afraid or has some issue. He gets beat up or he gets tased or worse, he gets shot. And the core reason for why they were there to arrest him was an invalid reason regarding the vote, his, their vote, and they were told to vote, and the case was dismissed. If harm came to that defendant despite uh, the dismissal of the case, that individual may not be here or may be arrested for a resistant arrest. It's a risky environment by merely going out and arresting these people falsely. That's the danger of this, despite the—as well as the unconstitutionality of it. That's the danger of this. And they know it.
3: Uh, Rebecca, uh, this is what the political story says. Kerry Dunn, who works for the Free and Fair Litigation Group, one of the firms representing the coalition, said, quote, ever since the people of Florida passed a constitutional amendment to grant people with felony convictions a new right to vote, the governor and the state have done everything in their power to prevent those 1.4 million voters from actually voting.
11: You know, Rowland, my organization actually helped make sure that um, that particular uh, amendment passed in Florida, and we've been fighting ever since to make sure that folks— who are otherwise eligible and should be able to register vote to vote, they should be able to vote. I do want to just backtrack with Virginia for a moment. Uh, my organization actually filed suit in April against Governor Yunkin for this arbitrary um, rights restoration process. And specifically, the three previous governors have made it very clear and objective, and they've used neutral criteria in, de- in determining who gets their rights restored and who doesn't get their rights restored. I just want to say that we're um, we're representing No Left Turns, which is a Black-led, Black-founded organization that supports returning citizens um, getting acclimated um, into society after they serve their time. But I also want to push back here too. It's not just Republican governors here, but we actually have a Democratic governor in Kentucky, Governor Andy Beshear. Andy Bashir in 2019, he filed, he he signed an executive order which um, which allowed for rights restoration um, for certain felonies convictions in Kentucky. My organization is currently suing him, because he doesn't include certain um, federal felony convictions and certain out-of-state felony um, convictions that, if it was a Kentucky conviction, um, the rights would be restored. But because they happen in a different state, um, the rights aren't being restored. And so, I, 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 while we do see that Democrats are our, the trend is that Democrats are leading with expansion and supporting voting rights. I just want to point out, we do have pockets where we have Democrats who aren't doing a good job with this either. And so we need—whether you're a Democrat, Republican, nonpartisan—people should have the right to vote in this country. If they're eligible to vote, then it is—it is imperative for our democracy for us to keep people civically engaged
3: in this country through voting. Robert, the lawsuit also says through this campaign, the defendants have created a climate of intimidation even among people who believe in good faith that they are eligible to vote. They fear that they may be criminally prosecuted. Go to my iPad, please. If, they, if their beliefs turns out to be wrong, the lawsuit states... This effort, coupled with the earlier created roadblocks to registration, has turned the simple act of voting into a complicated and risky venture in the eyes of those who were re-enfranchised by Amendment 4, as well as others who have been affected by the defendant's conduct. What happened was they literally sent cops to arrest people. And these were people who were arrested. They had jobs. They had they, they had to uh, get bail. Uh, and then so it's a chilling effect because if you never, you, you didn't get arrested, you're like, hey... I don't want to chance this thing. i got to go through that crap.
12: This is the time that I like to remind people that felony disenfranchisement is not constitutional. Uh, The concept of felony disenfranchisement is based upon a a portion of the Civil Rights Amendment, the 15th Amendment, that says a a person's right to vote will not be abridged unless yada, yada, yada. And then it says uh, uh, conviction of a high crime or participation in, in an insurrection. That is to say, the reason that we even have felony disenfranchisement right now is a misinterpretation of the civil War, uh, of the post Civil War amendments that was meant to stop former Confederate soldiers from voting and for uh, holding public office after they rebelled against the United States of America. Courts in the uh, as recently as 1974 in the Ramirez decision held that to mean that somebody convicted of a felony on the state level could be disenfranchised. We could change that with an act of Congress we get the 60 vote to the United States Senate. If this case went back before a Supreme Court that wasn't uh, com- controlled by MAGA justices, it could be overturned on the federal level. So instead of playing this kind of whack-a-mole, this kind of state-by-state issue of trying to determine which, uh, what felony disenfranchisement is and isn't, uh, what are the free states and the slave states when it comes to who's allowed to vote, uh, I think this is a time that we have to make a federal push on this issue. I've been talking about this for 20 years at least. This is the time when it can happen. If you want
1: to get Republican.
12: work. On board, just to remind them that after President Trump is convicted of all these felonies, he won't be able to vote unless we change the felony disenfranchisement rules.
3: <laughs> and the point uh, I said earlier, Scott, that people need to understand, many of these laws go directly back to post-slavery. They go to Jim Crow. And we can't, uh, we, we just cannot act as if that's not the case. So they can try to say, well, you know, that was so long ago. We've updated. And so there are other reasons today. No, the purpose of these laws and the laws were changed because the white folks needed black people to be out there giving free labor. And then they knew they go to prison. Then the 13th Amendment doesn't apply. And therefore, they can have free labor in those pr- prisons. The peanut system uh, was real. And so the laws were changed. They were specifically changed to target black people.
13: So you can add black people to the whole Confederate soldier piece that they didn't want to be able to vote as well. It's all rooted uh, primarily with slavery and, and, and racial discrimination against black people and brown people. And you still have the majority of these prisons in the U.S. filled with black and brown people because they're unfairly targeted. But uh, the reality is uh, you can throw bail reform in that federal legislation, Robert, also because at the state level, uh, Illinois just uh, did away with, and the Illinois Supreme Court just said it was constitutionally feasible to do away with bail requirements, which is also caught up in this whole— Yeah, cash bail, cash system. Bill. yep. Cash bail, at least. So— um, but again, that cash bill, people kept people in jail if they had prior yep. records or if they had they couldn't afford to pay $500 or $100 yep. to get out of jail. So lots of reform to do. Black people got to vote. You get black people to vote, put Democrats in and share their values, you can change a whole lot of this stuff legally. But we don't vote, so uh, well, we're stuck with trying to well, manage the results of not voting.
3: Well, we vote. We're simply not voting our no. no, we don't vote enough. No, no, bro. no, no. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Enough. Scott, it's Scott, Scott, you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer, yeah. and I operate factually. Black yeah, people vote. We don't vote in terms of maximizing our numbers. There are places... Where I said do- that. No, no, when I you said, said black folks don't vote, that's what you said.
13: Yeah, well, they don't, we need them to vote.
3: Well, no, but again, Robert though, Johnson. but, but on, saying, that we on, d- saying that we don't vote, and saying that we need to be maximizing our numbers are two separate things the reality but is I said there, well well again though you were wrong and so you're being corrected <laughs> so the reality is black folks do vote but There are many places that we're not maximizing our numbers, and so even in places, if you look at Florida, if you study the election of DeSantis and Gilliam, the reality is Broward County, Miami-Dade County, uh, the the blue counties in Florida, not one blue county voted at a rate of 60% or higher of registered voters. There were a number of Republican counties that were actually above 70, and so... You can't handle. Except them. your friendly you, you, amendment. You can't handle. No, it ain't a friendly amendment. It's, it's a friendly it's a, amendment. It's a factual. It's a factual statement. statement. And so again, I, I, alphas have to continue I, I, to, to, to school cap. You, you want to, get right. on, uh,
13: wants to get
3: on? to get on?
13: You got, don't get it on with anybody else on the panel but me. Why don't you jump on Robert he, he, or your other because guys? Because here's the deal. After me. Robert,
3: Robert, you. and, Re- Robert guys, and guys, Rebecca. Rebecca. Robert and Rebecca don't make factually don't make factual errors.
16: Well, look, oh,
12: oh, real oh, oh, real quick, I want, I wanted to stick this in. Earlier today, I was on uh, Middle Eastern Broadcast Network talking about the situation of human rights in Egypt right now, where they're detaining people without trial, pre-trial, for months and years at a time. And you have Amnesty International, the U.S. State Department, uh, uh, human rights organizations around the globe trying to fight to have those 65,000 detainees released. It's hard for us as Americans to talk about the human rights plights of people being wrongfully detained when we have the same laws in America, where we're doing the exact same things here. So I think in, in order for America to really be this shining city on this on the hill and this example of human rights internationally, we're going to have to get our own house in order because we look like fools on the international stage trying to advocate to get people out of jail in Egypt, and we ain't getting out people out of jail in Evanston, Illinois. Well,
3: we've always been fools on the international stage. Remember, it was Malcolm X who wanted to go to the U.N., uh, to deal with the issue of racism, that is America, and so we've always been hypocrites when we tell the rest of the world one thing and then we actually do another. Got to go to break. We come back. We're going to talk about the Northwestern lawsuit. Ben Crump uh, is leading. Uh, he is going to join. Uh, join us to talk about that. Uh, this is we're going to, of course, he had a news conference today uh, in Chicago, uh, and where these uh, foreign players alleging massive hazing. Massive hazing going on. They've since fired not only the football coach, but the baseball coach as well. So lots to unpack there as well. Florida, uh, just staying stuck on stupid. You got to hear what these fools actually said about slavery and what they're actually putting in their history books. These people are demented. So we'll talk about that. Plus, we got the founder of Fanbase, uh, the social media app on, talking about their crowdfunding effort. So all of that, 0196. The Cash App is dollar sign RM unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin unfiltered. Venmo is RM unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at RolandSMartin.com.
8: Next on the Frequency, right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard. We're talking about the ride-or-die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong Black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like, you even hear Black women, like, aspiring to be this ride-or-die chick, aspiring to be the strong Black woman So at their own expense. Next on the Frequency, right here on the Black Star Network.
17: Hello, I'm Paula J. Parker, Trudy Proud on the Proud Family.
16: I am Tommy Davidson. I play Oscar on Proud Family Louder and Proud.
14: Hi, I'm Joe Marie Payton, voice of Sugar Mama on Disney's Louder
8: and Prouder, Disney Plus. And I'm with Roland Martin on Unfiltered. <laughs>
3: Uh, former players at Northwestern are angry and upset. They are alleging massive hazing taking place among the athletic programs there. Uh, they say the leadership there has allowed racial discrimination, enabled, and concealed sexual misconduct amidst a hazing scandal. Two coaches, the football coach and the baseball coach, have both been fired. Today, civil rights attorney Ben Crump and several former players describe what they experienced uh, and why the lawsuit. Is critical
15: over 15 young men and women who were college athletes at Northwestern University and we're here this morning after talking to over 50 former college athletes at Northwestern University and being retained by over 15 young men and women who are former athletes who articulated their experiences while participating at Northwestern University Athletic Program.
18: It is Fortunately, all of us were placed into a culture where, as you've heard, sexual violence and sexual assault was rampant as a hazing practice. Um, Unfortunately for us, we were incoming freshmen, so we had no reference point to know if this was just a college football thing or just a uniquely Northwestern thing. So that's kind of what went into normalizing it for us and and leading us not to question it too much. Obviously in the moment it was weird, but when you zoom out like everybody else was doing it. So is this a normal thing? We're also 17. So the reason why the rest of us are coming forward is to strengthen and empower other student-athletes who potentially are going through this at this very moment and to have our story be heard and encourage other people to do the same thing. I was a scholarship quarterback and wide receiver for the Northwestern Wildcats for the 2015, 2016, and 2017 seasons. I graduated early and left the team before my final season. I grew up in Oak Park and I come from a family of proud Northwestern graduates. My great grandfather, my father, and my older brother are all Northwestern alumni. Growing up, I attended Northwestern football games and used to watch my brother lead the drumline while imagining how amazing it would be to follow in my family's footsteps and put on that Wildcat Jersey. Like the other players involved in this legal action, I was very proud and excited to accept a scholarship and be part of the football program. However, The university and the football program has let us down. That's why we're here today. Upon arrival to campus, we were thrown into a culture where physical, emotional, and sexual abuse was normalized. No teammate I knew liked hazing. We were all victims, no matter what our role was at the time. But the culture was so strong that we felt we had to go with it to survive, to be respected, and to earn the trust within the football program. There was a code of silence that felt insurmountable to break, and speaking up could lead to consequences that affected playing time and could warrant further abuse. Normalizing this culture became a necessity. The the abuse of hazing was so entrenched in the Northwestern football culture that even some of our coaches took part in it. The graphic, sexually intense behavior was well known throughout the program. We were physically and emotionally beaten down, and some players have contemplated suicide as a result. The abusive culture was especially devastating for many players of color. My situation was unique. I, I'm a legacy student, and my parents had the means to send me to Northwestern or any college with or without a football scholarship. But that was not the case for many of my teammates, especially those of color. Many of them were the first in their family to attend college, and this football scholarship was their only ticket to a better life, whether that was pursuing it professionally or getting a great job post-graduation. They were under great stress to fit in and succeed within the Northwestern football program. They had so much at stake and had no voice or power to stop the abuse so today I'm proud to come forward amongst uh, my brave teammates here today to let the truth be known a truth that is perpetuated for decades we hope that with our public efforts that we will empower those affected by physical emotional and sexual abuse to share their stories and we're letting you know that we're in this together and we support you it's not easy for any of us to come forward Um, A lot of this stuff is embarrassing. It's painful. And we know that we're making ourselves targets for criticism. But we feel strongly that we must do our part to make sure that this type of behavior ends. Not just at Northwestern, but throughout college sports. We're here to support and validate the accusations of the current Northwestern whistleblowers regarding the true abusive nature of the hazing. We do not want any any more college students or athletes to endure what we had to endure for so long and repress?
3: Scott, when I uh, did uh, my, uh, I did a variety of interviews with Vlad TV, but also when I did my commentaries talking about uh, how I despise hazing, uh, you, you, I've had people come up to me, alphas, kappas, omegas, sigmas, saying, man, I'm glad you said it guys who said they experienced it but they didn't but they they didn't say anything they went along with it uh i've run into people who said they still to this day bear the scars and the trauma of being hazed when they pledged um what people need to understand is that we know what happened when the drum major florida a m was killed there was massive hazing in that band and other bands as well Uh, i remember my high school band they actually Hayes. They're pissed off at me because they had a rule that if you were first chair, you couldn't get Hayes. Well, I came in as a, because they're thinking, well, a freshman, they'll be first chair. Well, I
10: Work.
3: Came in first chair, so they were pissed because they couldn't haze me. And I'm like, well, that ain't gonna happen anyway. Then, <laughs> and I, no, because I was like, because I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not letting somebody abuse me and do some stupid shit. Especially if we the same age. Man, get the hell on. Uh, they, so then, what we, what we now, what people are now understanding is you see this, these, this hazing, hazing, this, this sort of this, uh, the, the, this, this sexual. Uh, a deviancy, if you will, among football teams as well. There's no way in hell coaches are unaware of what's going on in their program.
13: Yeah, because it's their program. And uh, I, 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 when I was listening to your story, the, the lead-in and the press conference, I was thinking, how does sexual, being sexually deviant or racist to a football team or players help you win on the football field? And we can go back and forth about the hazing of fraternities and stuff. I mean, I, I, I pledged in 81 in a Southern school, of Morehouse. There was a lot of that still going on. And over the years, uh, I've evolved. I'm 61 now. And looking back, I still raise the question what do they tell young men and women, men and women, what do they tell us at 19 and 20 years old to accept that type of abuse? to make you closer to the brotherhood or the sisterhood and to create a stronger bond when you go over.
3: It's a lie. Buy it. It's a lie. What? It was a lie it then. What? It was a lie when you were 19. It was a lie when I played yeah. in eight, 1989. It was all total bullshit. Uh, but people accepted it, like a lot of these football players. You heard this guy say, yeah. hey, if we, if we didn't go along with it, then we're not looked but- upon as being part of the team.
13: But, but there, with the football team, slightly different. Hear me out. Because what, they, what the presenter at the press conference, the young man who graduated early, what he said was a lot of these students who play football, that was their only way out. They wanted to go along to get along because in the end, they were trying to get to the NFL. With, with fraternity hazing, black or white, you, you could reject that, not pledge, pledge some other time and still get your education and go nah, to Nah,
3: it's the same. It's the same. The, it's the, the, same. the
13: mindset, the mind... Uh, what am I talking... The mind manipulation at that age is right. pretty powerful from a peer pressure standpoint. Right. But you're right. We agree. It's all bullshit. It's been bullshit. I bought into it at 20 and well into my 30s. Over the last 20 or 30 years, the the, the liability of our fraternities, yours, mine, the, the Sigmas, all of them, they've all had to really get serious about enforcing against hazing because the liability and the lawsuits and the exposures because people at 19, 20, 22 years old, they don't have the judgment of a snail. And so they're physically beating these people, hurting them, even killing them sometimes. And they have a lot of control over that. The fraternity, the national level, national officers had to step in and say, okay, no more, we're gonna force it. zero tolerance. And that made the most sense because of the lawsuit but also the physical and mental abuse and the byproducts of that of these young men at very impressionable ages, who are there to get an education and to be leaders in this country. The
3: the, the thing here, um, um, Rebecca, when we talk about um, when we talk about um, what, what this football team uh, is laying out, um, again, uh, just the unbelievable, crazy uh, antics. Uh, that we're involved in that just made no sense whatsoever. And, and and what's interesting to me is there are a lot of people who love to uh, defend this because they talk about, oh, it's culture and, and and that's the one thing we always hear culture the way we do things. Uh, we hear the exact same things in fraternities and sororities. Uh, and, and the thing that I am constantly trying to get people to understand is is that I don't care who culture, can be recreated. Culture can be, be reestablished. You don't have to actually stick with it. And you heard the guy say that he knows of several players who have contemplated suicide. When you talk about what has happened in the fraternities and sororities, there are people who have actually died. Uh, I crossed uh, April 27, 1989. Uh, Scott talked about going to Morehouse. Uh, there's, a, there's a gentleman who this year should be celebrating his 34th anniversary as an alpha. But his family this year is commemorating the 34 years since he died. Go to my iPad. Joel Harris, that's his name. Joel Harris, Joel A. Harris, was an 18-year-old sophomore at Morehouse who had a heart ailment. Well, the folks who were pledging him didn't know that. So what did they do? They were beat They were hitting the pledges in their chest. Well, what ended up happening was that led to uh, a heart attack uh, and he had cardiac uh, dysrhythmia. He dies. And I have said consistently, no parent should be sending their child to school, and their child pledges a fraternity or sorority or plays on a football team. And should return home in the body bag?
11: So, my sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha, I'm um, sorority incorporated, just like Alpha Phi Alpha Kappa Alpha Psi, as well as the rest of the Divine Nine um, Black sorority um, and fraternities have taken an anti hazing stance. I think when we use the language, when we use the language of hazing, it can mean many things to many different people. And when I watched the press conference with um, Northwestern, I was thinking about that and thinking about the term hazing. And I was thinking about what was outlined by attorney Crump, as well as um, some of the former athletes um, who spoke um, at the podium. And what really came to my mind is sometimes if we just use the term hazing, people don't understand what it is. They might just think, oh, it's a practical joke that goes slightly too far. However, Our organizations have also seen people who have died, and that is public, it's in lawsuits, it's out there in the public domain. Um, I think what's really important here, especially for what has occurred at Northwestern, is calling out the specifics of things that have happened, talking about the sexual humiliation. Talking about the racial humiliation. I'm talking about other physical things that should not have happened and does not go towards team building. It is not building someone up. It is, sorry, it's not tearing someone down just to build them up and to strengthen them and to strengthen the core of their character. That's not what, what happened here. It was assault, it was sexual assault, it was physical assault, it was harassment, it was intimidation, it was coercion. And those are the things that aren't acceptable in any athletic um, program in this country, in any um, music program in this country, in any um, sorority or fraternity in this
3: country. Uh, And I'll tell you, Robert, again, Northwestern has already moved. They fired uh, successful football coach Pat Fitzgerald. They fired the baseball coach. There are two investigations going on right now. uh, And that means that they understand they have a serious problem on their hands.
12: Well, I think we have to also look at the generational shift uh, that has taken place. As you said, uh, if you grew up in the South in the 1980s and 1990s, uh, you started getting hazed for peewee football all the way up through middle school. Uh, You get hazed in middle school band. You get hazed in high school band. Uh, You get hazed in, um, in academic decathlon. That's not a joke. We literally had hazing in Academic Decathlon. You get hazed when you get to colleges, HBCU. When I played Kappa Kappa Psi, uh, the band fraternity, there was plenty of hazing going on, in, not in our chapter, but in other chapters around the the Southeast District. Uh, and but we think about Gen Z. This is the, uh, the generation of children that have you know child psychologists all the way from elementary school on up that are taught uh, non-content and non uh, uh, and non-violence uh, training. They're the generation that has uh, life coaches when they're uh, in high school and when they're into college. This is not the generation you're going to just be beaten on and that you're going to be treating a certain way. This generation files lawsuits against their parents for hitting them, let alone against other individuals and coaches. So I think we have to understand that this is uh, that hopefully this is the generation that puts an end to this cycle of this, uh, this thing that's been putting us from slavery that somehow beating us makes us better people. That I'm beating you because I want you to be more united. I'm beating you so you um, you value the organization more. I'm beating you so you, uh, you'll come Come together uh, with your brothers on the line etc none of that makes sense that's all these ideas that are left over from when we were uh, in captivity in this country and i'm hoping gen z and their more social emotional learning will put an end to this from now from now on
3: uh and again in this lawsuit they are alleging that uh pats fitzgerald as well as northwestern university president michael shield ad Derek uh gragg and the board of trustees support and, and enable a culture surrounding sexual misconduct and racial discrimination. So we will uh, continue to follow this story as well. All right, folks, gotta go to a break, we come back. The Gathering Spot, long been celebrated as a black economic success story. Then Greenwood comes along, a black-owned digital banking platform, celebrated as a black success story. So why the, one of the co-founders of The Gathering Spot now suing Greenwood? purchase them. We'll break that thing down. Next on Roller Mark Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
2: Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. We featured the brand new work of Professor Angie Porter, which simply put is a revolutionary reframing of the African experience in this country. It's the one legal article everyone, and I mean everyone, should read Professor Porter and Dr. Valethea Watkins, our legal roundtable team, join us to explore the paper that I guarantee is going to prompt a major aha moment in our culture.
8: You crystallize it by saying, who are we to other people? Who are African people to others? Governance is our thing. Who are we to each other? The structures we create for ourselves, how we order the universe as
2: African people. That's next on The Black Table, here on the Black Star Network.
5: For decades, the tobacco industry has deliberately targeted black communities and kids with marketing for menthol cigarettes. It's had a devastating impact on black health. Tobacco use claims 45,000 black lives every year. It's the number one cause of preventable death. In the 1950s, less than 10% of black smokers used menthol cigarettes. Today, it's 85%.
1: Ban menthol cigarettes.
5: Save lives.
1: Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Devon Franklin. It is always a pleasure to be in the house. You are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay right here.
3: All right, folks. Uh, Greenwood, Inc., a black-owned digital banking platform for black and Latinx individual. I hate that phrase. Latino. I hate Latinx. They don't even use it. 2% use Latinx. So, never put Latinx in the script. They don't even use it, okay? All right, for black and Latinos, business owners. They acquired The Gathering Spot, a popular private members-only club for black professionals, in May of last year. Nearly a year later, The Gathering Spot co-founder, Ryan Wilson, has now filed a lawsuit on behalf of himself and co-founder Tequila Peterson Against Greenwood CEO Ryan Glover and board members Dr. Paul Judge for alleged fraud and deception, the lawsuit filed in Fulton County, Georgia Superior Court, claims Greenwood failed to make post payments based on their sales agreement. The filing comes after the former chief financial officer, uh, first was of uh, Peterson, is actually he was a, he was a COO. Uh, they announced that he was leaving now. It's okay, what well, did he leave? Was he terminated? Uh, you know, all is up and up. And, so again. Peterson was r- over the gathering spot. What they then did was they hired a white CFO, well, Greenwood. Social media was reporting that Peterson was replaced by the white CEO, but Glover put out a statement saying, no, that was not the case. Uh, the job had been open for a year. Uh, and this is what transpired. He actually sent to that, that to me over the weekend. That was Saturday. Sunday, when we saw the news of the lawsuit dropping, I then reached out back to Ryan Glover uh, and also to Paul Judge, asking them to come on the show to discuss this. Neither responded. We also reached out to Peterson and Wilson, uh, and they also uh, have not come on. So uh, let's talk about this with uh, Shimite. Who wrote, who of course reported the story in Forbes called A Multi Million Dollar Mass Gathering Spot Faces Off with Greenwood? She joins me from Atlanta. Glad to have you here. So, all right, what's really going on here? Because, um, you know, the Gathering Spot, they launched. They open in Atlanta, they open in D.C., they open in L.A., they've got virtual memberships in other cities. Now yep. what you have is, now you have Glover or the folks at Greenwood saying, oh, well, they lost $2 million on the gathering spot in Los Angeles, uh, that the numbers were, something was up with the numbers, or, the, or you know what, what they suggested, what their sales were, were actually not the case. What the heck is happening here uh, with what, what was supposed to be seen as a black success story?
17: Absolutely. So, first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to um, explain what uh, what you know. I've gleaned from looking at the court documents. Um, I'm a deal attorney. I'm an M and A attorney by training, and so um, it was just incredulous to see everything that has transpired. Um, just to take a step back, so Greenwood acquired the Gathering Spot. Um, in April of 2022, so last year. And it was exciting to see uh, two Black-owned businesses come together. But it was also surprising because they're both startups. So they're both really small companies. Um, The Gathering Spot was founded in 2016 um, and kind of started in Atlanta and more recently expanded to D.C., very recently Los Angeles. Greenwood Bank started in 2020. Um, And when you think about typical acquisitions, there's a much larger company, and then there's a a smaller company that's being acquired when you talk about strategic acquisitions, which this was. And so immediately some flags went up when the acquisition was announced, but everybody's excited to see um, black folks building together. Now, the challenge here is that um, I think the acquisition was done fairly quickly. Um, it was, I actually spoke with Ryan Glover in May and he was super excited about just sharing how he knew Ryan Wilson's father. And so they could move quickly through this process. But when you typically have an M&A transaction, it is done after months and months of due diligence, um, after months of sort of working through all the kinks. And I don't think that's what happened here because ultimately what you saw was, um, both ryan and tk filing a lawsuit individually as well as on behalf of all of the gathering spots uh sellers and saying that hey greenwood you didn't pay us what you were owing us um post closing payments
3: so the deal the deal was when well, they purchased it was supposed to be a stock and stock and cash deal uh and right. so they're saying we got the stock we didn't get the cash
17: yeah, so it so typically in a lot of M and A transactions, it's not just you're getting a lump sum of cash. Typically, the consideration, as it's called, is broken down into a couple pieces. And so in this case, it was cash up front, but that cash was also uh, there were some contingencies around it. Um, so in the, I, I read an article in Forbes, and it kind of breaks it down. But essentially. Um, Typically, there is adjustments and true ups that happen once the closing has happened and uh, the buyer, in this case Greenwood, has an opportunity to review closely the financials and make sure everything lines up. So even that cash component that they got was subject to adjustments. And then also they got stock in Greenwood. So they got to roll their stock that they had in, in the gathering spot and they got some stock in Greenwood. Um, and so you know there were different components to it, but unfortunately, when it started coming time to paying some of these, I'm sorry, the, the final component was an earnout. All right, so an earnout is where uh you have to reach certain performance milestones, you have to reach certain revenue metrics, and then you get another lump sum of money. Um, so there were all these contingent payments. And essentially, Greenwood has refused to pay any of it.
3: All right. So and and what this also has done, this has also led to a lot of folks, um, a lot of folks um, now asking a lot of questions about Greenwood. Uh, In fact, uh, Philip Lewis actually had this had this uh, piece on his uh, substack uh, where he said that uh, and I've actually had people who hit me, blow my phone up as well. Um, what is happening is uh, you got a lot of people who are saying they're looking at canceling their gathering spot uh, memberships as a result uh, of what is taking place. Uh, and and so one of the things, so again, we talk about um, what, what's also now going on here. One of the things that, now, that people have jumped out is that initially, again, the folks with Greenwood, when they came out and actually came on this show as well, laid out that they were gonna be a bank, but they're not an actual bank, they're a fintech company, explain that.
17: So Greenwood is trying to figure out its identity, um, in my opinion, and so what they have decided to do, so they started, they launched as a digital bank. Um, At this juncture, what I see them moving towards is a membership
3: community. Well, first of all, hold on, on, let's go back. You see that digital bank, they're not a bank.
17: They're not a bank. They were partnering with uh, commu- like a, a, a coastal bank, which is a white-owned bank, to provide certain services. So you do, you can, uh, when you join Greenwood, they have a Mastercard branded card. You have that you can open up a savings account. Um, so in that way, you can op- it, it is is it it is acting like a, a quasi bank. Uh, they're not lending money, so you can't borrow money. Um, so that's obviously a big reason uh, they're not issuing like credit cards. So there's a lot that's to be desired when it comes to calling yourself a bank. Um, but they at least do have the savings account element to it that they're able to provide in partnership with Coastal Bank, which is like a white owned bank. Yeah. but And that's
3: what I, I want to say with that, because what happened is, again, when this story really began to blow up, what a lot of people then realized, they said, wait a minute, hold up. I thought we were doing business with black people. Come to find out, Coastal Bank is white. I've had people say, well, wait a minute. There are actually black-owned banks out there. Why why did Greenwood not go partner with the black-owned banks? Why are they partnering with this white bank, this Coastal Bank? That's, That's one of the questions that I've heard people actually raising since this story became public.
17: Right. I mean, I think that sometimes we... There's the rhetoric, and then there's the reality. So if you look at who's funding Greenwood, top banks, uh, venture arms of top banks, Truist Bank, City Ventures, PNC Bank, um, these are all, like, white banks, right?
3: These yeah, that, all- that's the banks in terms of where they raise money. But the people right. who have been signing up were black people. And, right. And it was sold, because, again, when they came on this show, it was sold as... Hey, this is a black digit this is a black bank. That's how it was sold.
17: Right. And I so you're absolutely right and I think that we have to ask ourselves what does it really mean to be black owned? What does it really mean to be black run? When when you go up the sort of cap table and when you go up to the vendors and the service providers, those are not all sort of Black folks. And I can't say exactly how the gathering spot did on that front. I know uh, there's another Black uh, co-working space in Atlanta, the Russell Center. They have made a point of essentially hiring and working with entirely Black vendors. But it's honestly difficult. And so I don't want to, um, you know, hang Greenwood for not being true to that like consistent with that message all the way through because most companies aren't doing that. And to be a neo bank, to be a digital bank, you've got to have a back office essentially doing the banking services, but you're absolutely right. I don't know what conversations happened and why they weren't able to partner with a black community bank. I have no idea, but, um, coming back to the lawsuit, I did want to make sure that folks understood, um, that it actually wasn't, uh, Ryan and TK that initially alleged fraud. And I don't believe they they have been the ones to allege fraud. Essentially, it was a breach of contract claim that they came out with. Right. So they immediately said, hey, you didn't pay us um, what was called the Los Angeles Operating Reserve. It was a $900,000 payment that would have been triggered basically back in February based on financial based on their financials. And so Greenwood didn't didn't uh, produce a statement, that closing statement that comes after after the deal is signed and closed. They didn't produce that. They didn't give the money. And so immediately, uh, Ryan and TK kind of gathered up their documents, hired their lawyers, and filed. It's Greenwood that can responded and said, hey, no, we don't owe you this money. Why? Because um, your financial statements were all wrong. So they it weren't consistent with what the purchase agreement said, which was supposed to be GAAP. It's supposed to be an accrual-based accounting methodology. And you guys use a cash-based accounting methodology. And what that can do is that can change what your revenue looks like, what your expenses, what your debts look like drastically, especially if you're looking at a specific measuring period. But here's, was-
3: what, I, but here's what I don't understand. This is what I don't understand. Um, I was involved um, uh, we were looking at doing a crowdfund. Yeah. And uh, and so what we then did was we then were going through going through financials. And yeah. what you just described, that's what they said they said, "Hey, you guys are operating V cash accruals."
10: Work.
3: And then we need a GAP. So we were like, okay, so we, w- we went through a process to actually do that. <laughs> I'm trying to understand if you are acquiring them, how in the hell you don't say that up front? I, 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 how are you saying it after the fact?
17: Absolutely, it makes no sense. Um, that's why I said it was rushed. I have Like, been- I literally
3: I literally said before we do a, a crowdfund, before I even think about selling equity. Let's get the book straight to make sure that we are we're satisfying uh, this gap accounting versus a cash accruals. And that's what we did. Now, I, I, I never did the crowdfund. Uh, I didn't sell any equity, but that's what we're now. That's, that's how we now have it set up.
17: Yeah. No, absolutely. So I think I mean, I, I can't say for sure, but this feels opportunistic. You know, it feels like they didn't understand the business that they were get that they were acquiring. Because you look at something like the Gathering Spot, this is a co-working space essentially. It's it's a members club, but they and they've got a restaurant element. But at, at the end of the day, it's a brick and mortar business. So there is it's it's a capital intensive business, right? And so and then not only with the the real estate, but also think about the people that they're hiring to operate the hospitality staff. So it's an it's a capital intensive business. And Greenwood, if they did their due diligence, they would understand that. And so the fact that they're coming back now and so shocked that there isn't Um, net income or profits in the Los Angeles location after just one, less than a year of operations, it doesn't make sense. The fact that they didn't do a quality of earnings, which is typically done before you acquire any business, you typically hire accountants, you do a quality of earnings report to kind of pressure test the financials. So things, things aren't adding up there. At the same time, the language in the purchase agreement was quite clear that it's Gap, you know? And so the fact, that, the fact that the gathering spot didn't have the correct financials, you know, it's you're big boys. You can't just say, well, we just did it cash basis. We just did it that way. We always have. That's not a good enough excuse. So on both sides, it looks like they were kind of sloppy. And so in, in my view, like there's like, you know, there's good people on both sides. There's bad people on both sides. I think the issue here is the fact that um, Gathering Spot, their equity was rolled into Greenwood, and so right now they're looking at like Greenwood being attacked, and their and Greenwood's sort of um, brand equity really declining. And but that also means that the gathering spot is also being, you know, sense declining because all the shareholders are now tied up in what happens with the, with the gathering spot with, with Greenwood. And also there's something else to kind of talk about here, which is that Greenwood was going after kind of like a roll up strategy. So they didn't just buy the gathering spot. They bought Valence, which was a professional networking kind of career jobs platform. They bought another company called AC3. It's like a festival. They bought a a company, another kind of tech, fintech banking platform called Kinley, all black owned, all startups. All these folks are tied up in Greenwood because these are all startups that essentially rolled their equity into Greenwood. So this looks bad, not just for Greenwood. It looks bad for the shareholders of the gatherings, but it looks bad for all these other businesses that came along with it.
3: Well, uh, it is an absolute mess. Uh, again, prior to finding out about the lawsuit, go to my iPad. I did reach out to Ryan Glover to talk about the Peterson issue. Uh, he sent me uh, this statement they posted on their site. Uh, they said that T.K. Peterson moves on to other endeavors. Uh, his last day as chief operating officer of The Gathering Spot will be July 31st. Uh, and then it says, but then they go on to uh, then explain that Mike McCloskey is coming on as the chief financial officer of Greenwood. And so, again, uh, if you look at it, Peters, yeah. Peterson, y'all, was the, he was not the CFO. Yep. Peterson yep. was the chief operating officer of The Gathering Spot. He was one of the I, co-founders. And McCloskey, the- McCloskey... They hired him as a CFO of Greenwood Inc. Uh, about 20 seconds, go ahead.
17: Yeah, so in the court documents, you know, what happens at the end at, when you do some kind of a merger, usually there's an employment agreement. And so th- things change around, management changes. Yeah. And so I think at that time, uh, essentially, TK became COO, and he became a VP at Greenwood. So people might not have understood that, but really, I think that was sort of like the red herring. And well,
3: well, like- actually, there were there were people who posted social media posts, and they said that, oh, Peterson's being kicked out, replaced by this white guy, uh, right? And, and and that that was the initial report, and so then 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 they had to come out because that's literally I got started getting text messages about it, and I reached out to Ryan Glover, and I was like, yo, what the hell's going on? He was like, no, this would happen. Pe- this guy's not replacing Peterson. And then, of course, literally the next day, the lawsuit dropped. So, yeah,
17: it was so much. More, it was so much more to it. That was. Yep. Just the tip of the Absolutely.
3: But, uh, All yeah, right. I mean, well, it is. Uh, it's a whole lot. It is an absolute. It's, a whole lot. it's an absolute big mess. Uh, and then uh, that's why they're lawyers uh, who are uh, going to get paid a lot of money to sort this thing out uh, in the courts. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, bye. All right, thanks a lot. All right, folks, uh, just absolutely just wild there. Okay, uh, coming up next, uh, the international president of Delta Sigma Theta joins us. They're kicking off their conference in Indianapolis. They also today named, new, they named seven new honorary members. One of them is a history maker down the street at the Supreme Court. We'll tell you who they are next on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Blackstar Network.
8: On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's wealth coach, Dexter Jenkins is a faith-based financial mentor with more than 20 years in the financial services industry. He's passionate about helping families
16: build generational wealth Even though I'm talking about things like prayer, I'm talking about things about reading the word, I'm talking about things like fellowship, um, I'm talking to members who are dealing with losing their houses, or I'm talking to members who, because of uh, a lack of the handle on their finances, they're working two or three jobs. And so what I'm finding is that they're not coming to church because they don't have a handle on their finances.
8: We're talking how to get wealthy through faith and our finances on the next Get Wealthy right here only on Black Star Network.
17: On a next A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie, we're talking all things mental health and how helping others can help you. We all have moments where we have struggles. And on this week's show, our guests demonstrate how helping others can also help you. Why you should never stop giving and serving others on a next A Balanced Life here on Black Star Network.
18: Bruce Smith, creator and executive producer of *The Proud Family*, *Louder and Prouder*. And you're watching *Roland Martin Unfiltered*.
3: All right, folks. Uh, in the wake of the Dobbs decision, uh, many of these states are going crazy. Kentucky is going to seek the private medical records of women who are going out of state to get an abortion. Attorney General Daniel Cameron of Kentucky is among the 18 Republican state attorney generals who co-signed a letter to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services opposing the proposed rule change. The attorneys say the change will unlawfully interfere with state's authority and does not serve any legitimate need. The rule change is intended to shield the medical information of patients who receive reproductive health care services out of state, such as abortion and gender-affirming care from state officials. That will ban or criminalize these procedures. It would make it harder for state officials to obtain patient medical information to investigate violations of state laws. Advocates of the rule change argue that it aims to protect better sensitive information related reproductive health care and enhance patient-provider confidentiality. Here's what is crazy to me, Rebecca. Okay, you pass a law where you say we're banning abortions in the state. But what the hell? Obtaining the private medical records of somebody who left the state. How how, 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 how do you govern somebody's actions if they leave the state?
11: You know, wrap him up in plastic, he's acting brand new, he's an attorney he knows better. He knows you can't do this. I, I think he <laughs> he is desperate. Like, I guess he wants to be governor that bad. Like, you can't demand someone who has left your state to give, to turn over their medical records. My, my other question is, is he going to compel other states or is he going to compel private doctors and private clinics and hospitals to turn over those records? I don't even understand how he thinks he can do this. Like I mean, it's, I don't have anything else to say about it. I I, I don't I don't understand what Cameron's doing here.
3: Uh, Robert, I'm I'm confused here as well. I mean, literally, and this is not just Kentucky. There are other Republicans. They are trying. How how do you obtain the private? medical records of somebody they're not breaking your state law they're going somewhere else and so are they now trying to say that if a law is passed in this state it governs you wherever you go in america
12: i I would like to mention uh, just as a, a a slight tangent this is the republican party that is always talking about freedom that is always talking about uh, the heavy-handed government that's going to be reaching into your uh, reaching into your homes. There's been talking about since the 1980s this idea that big government is the enemy of the people. But now they want your private medical records to be given to government bureaucrats so they can find out what you've been doing. How about this? I, I will agree. Like, they can go ahead and have the fa- uh, women's f- um, uh, private medical records. But for every old white man who gets Viagra, Cialis, Hims.com, uh, uh, oh, Balding medication, any of those things. You have to turn over your private medical records also. Uh, How about that? This is completely ridiculous. This is silly. This violates federal law. Uh, It will never happen, but what it is is red meat for a Republican base in a campaign season during an election. It's something that you know will never happen, and therefore you can make it as extreme as possible. Think about what's going on on the national level. Trump and DeSantis are arguing, well, I had a 15-week abortion ban. Well, I'm going to have a six-week abortion ban. Well, I'm going to ban abortion before it's even is pregnant. That's the way that they're arguing now. They've come to the point of absurdity. The Republican Party has become a parody of American politics. They no longer talk about policy. They no longer talk about things that affect the American people. They think they can get enough Twitter likes and uh, enough follows that social media will carry them to the White House. This is the death of a political party, and they're doing the last rattle uh, before they go out the way the Whigs did.
3: So, so, so here's was interesting here, uh, Scott. Perfect example. There are some states that now require you to show an ID in order to view porn. Louisiana is one of those states. Virginia is one of those states. Yes, Rebecca, like straight up. They've actually passed this as a law. They say to protect minors. So Scott, if in Virginia I have to show an ID to watch porn or Louisiana, does that mean that if I'm from Virginia or Louisiana and I go visit Texas, or I go to Idaho, or I go to California, that that law follows me? That, that's literally what these people are saying, that they get to demand your personal information because you left the
13: state. It's, it's ridiculous, uh, like Robert said. But, but the, the Mr. Kentucky AG, newsflash. Your jurisdiction stops at the Kentucky state line. It stops. But but the purpose behind this, and this is going to be constitutional, these states who have said six weeks or no abortion or, or a total ban on abortions, um, they are also trying to pass laws that say you can track those who leave the state to, so we know how many people are leaving the state And if we can, we want to arrest them or incentivize them not to leave the states. But now the Supreme Court took the federal ban off and said, let each state decide. Think about that. So they're going even beyond that. And so it, it really makes no sense. But the purpose behind this is so they can track who's leaving the state to get abortions, and then they want to pass a law to criminalize or to, say, to bar. You from leaving the state to get an abortion, so you can't get an abortion here in eight to ten weeks or more. But you, but you also can't leave the state to go do this, so that you're gonna to have to stay in Kentucky and have the baby. Oh, but we're not gonna provide prenatal care or pre-kindergarten or any of the other um, uh, programs or federal entitlements to support raising this child. It's complete lunacy. Complete one, and it's
3: unconstitutional too. Uh, it's absolutely crazy. All right, <laughs> yo. Yep. I mean, it's stunningly stupid. All right, going to a break. We come back. Isaac Hayes created his fan base, a black owned social media app. Uh, well, look, they've got, it's really grown exponentially. They want to continue to doing so. They're going through a crowd raise. We'll talk about that next. Also, we'll be chatting with the president of Delta Sigma Theta uh, about what's happening at their conference in Indianapolis, as well as their new seven members which includes Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Folks on YouTube, hit that like button, y'all. Hit the like button. Also, download our app, uh, Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, your dollars are important. Allow us to cover the stories that we uh, wish to cover. Uh, P-O- uh, see a check in money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C. 20037 uh, 0196. Then you also uh, have Cash App. Um, of course, uh, dollar sign RM unfiltered. Uh, you got uh, PayPal R. Martin unfiltered. Venmo is RM unfiltered. Uh, and Zell, Roland at RolandSMartin.com, Roland at RolandMartinFilter.com. Uh, you can also, of course, uh, uh, watch us uh, on Amazon uh, News. we we'll go to Amazon Fire, check us out there. Tell Alexa, play Black News from Black Star Network. You also uh, can help us out, folks, and you can watch us on Plex TV as well. And so we look forward to you accessing us there. Also, go to the uh, go to the um, uh, be sure to get my book White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. Uh, Get that book as well. Uh, Amazon Barnes Noble, Ben Bella Books, Bookshop, Books a Million, Target, all of those uh, locations. Download your copy on Audible. And folks, uh, beginning tomorrow uh, we are going to be in Cincinnati folks covering the Cincinnati Music Festival in partnership with Procter and Gamble. Uh, We're going to be covering their hip hop panel tomorrow. And of course you see the acts there, the 50th anniversary of hip hop, uh, Dougie Fresh, Lick Rick, Big Daddy Kane, Rakim, uh, the Andrew Brady Music Center. Then, of course, they got Al Green, Jill Scott, Jodeci, Midnight Star, Joe Albright, uh, Snoop Dogg, Babyface, P Funk Connection, Avery Sunshine, Norman Brown. We're going to be on the ground. So, Black Star Network, Roller Martin Unfiltered will be on the ground in Cincinnati beginning tomorrow. I'll be there Friday, It'll be there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Cannot wait to see y'all in Cincinnati. I'll be right back.
16: Black Star Network is here. Oh, no punch!
3: I'm real uh, revolutionary right now.
6: I thank you for being the voice of Black
3: America. All the momentum
8: we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks
2: phenomenal. See, there's a difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your
0: eyeballs home, you dig? Farquhar executive producer a proud family you're watching Roland Martin unfiltered
9: We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor
10: Racing Network.
9: NASCAR Cup,
10: Xfinity, and
9: Craftsman Truck
10: Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville.
3: All right, folks, while Twitter is going through all of its drama, you also, of course, uh, have things happening at Facebook and Instagram. Uh, uh, there, of course, is a black-owned social media app called Fanbase, which allows for you to actually reach all of your followers, uh, as well as allow for you to also get paid for your content. Isaac Hayes III, he is the founder of Fanbase. Uh, we've had him on the show before. I'm familiar with it as well. I've invested in part part of his crowd fund. Uh, they have raise uh, a lot of money, allowing regular, ordinary folks to get in on this, uh, because normally when these things happen, uh, it's normally the venture capitalist folks and the rich folks who, who get to uh, get rich off of this, and he wants to do something that's different. He joins us right now. Uh, and so what's the latest with fan base, Isaac? What's up,
19: Roland? How you doing? Man? All good. Good. You good. All good. Yeah, um, well, actually, we are closing our final round. Um, And Reg CF crowdfunding on Fanbase. So so far I've raised about $9 million. We're at about $3.4 million. And I'm stopping at $5 million. Um, and this is the last chance to invest in Fanbase um, in a Reg CF. So I've done three of these rounds, two, three successful rounds. And we're wrapping this one up right now trying to close in the next uh, week or so. Um, and so I wanted to tell people about that first and foremost that you can go to startengine.com slash Fanbase and invest and actually own part of these tech platforms. Um, and where you put all your content, your energy, your life, your passion and actually be an owner as well um, And the minimum to invest is two hundred and fifty bucks. So uh, just come on in and grab some shares because we're about to close this round out.
3: Uh, and so you said Reg
19: C. Explain that. So Reg CF is regulation crowdfunding. It's some, thanks to Barack Obama, um, I was able to, to raise capital outside of accredited investors. So, that I could give opportunity to anybody that wants to own a part of a company um, to be able to invest in fan base. And I always say, who better than to own part of a social media platform, the actual users itself? And so the users are taking part and having an enormous amount of uh, uh, power in boosting this platform through our crowdfund. And we have like 12,000 investors um, from all over the world, um, all different races, all different backgrounds, with people that are saying, hey, look, I never got a chance to invest in Instagram. I never got a chance to invest in Facebook or TikTok, um, and so regulation crowdfunding is a way that um, people like me can raise money for their businesses through the general public.
3: Um, and 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 so you've obviously you've been building, and a lot of different things that have been happening. Uh, and so, how you've been able to
19: just build and grow a fan base. Well, I mean, through the money we've raised, we've been able to scale the platform to over 400,000 users um, globally. Um, through the United States of America, India is the second most popular uh, country on fan base. We're in Africa. We're in Europe. We're all over the place. Um, and people are, are downloading the app and making content um, and then at the same time monetizing their content, which is really the main the main focus that I really wanted to give people is the optionality to actually make money from your content. So you can... You can have followers like you do on any other social media platform, but you can actually have subscribers. And I know you're probably hearing that a lot lately from these other platforms. But uh, Fanbase was the first app to ever allow another person to subscribe to another person using an in-app purchase on your phone, um, and that's extremely important.
3: So, uh, first of all, questions for the panelists. Uh, Robert, you first.
12: Uh, yeah, I did have a question about uh, the growth pattern on this. As we know, there are uh, many U.S. social media apps are banned in places like China, Iran, uh, other countries. Are there? Do you have any plan to expand to other markets besides uh, some of the traditional markets where there's more competition? Uh, and what would you be the process for that?
19: So right now, we're currently in 212 countries. Like there, we're all over the globe. Like like I said, we're uh, heavy in Africa. Heavy in uh, Asia and Europe, um, South America. Um, Fanbase is pretty much everywhere. So, you know, wherever you are in the world, you can actually download Fanbase um, and use it, even in Russia, which is ironic, but it's weird. But you can actually download Fanbase even if you're in Russia. So we're on iOS and Android. So um, the platform is worldwide, it's global. Rebecca.
3: Rebecca, you're on mute. Rebecca's muted. There you go.
11: Hey, good seeing you tonight. I am an investor in Fanbase, so I have a quick business question. Um, Is Mm -hmm. it your goal to be majority black owned, or is it your goal to continue to grow and then to be able to sell the platform?
19: So I'll say this. Every platform, um, every company is built to be sold in one way or another, either acquired by another company or go public on the stock market. Um, the goal currently at Fanbase, I am the majority owner, but of the 12,000 investors that are invested in Fanbase, the majority of those are African-American people as well. And what's important about that is is building generational wealth sometimes in our community seems like a competition rather than a culture. And I want to change that. Um, I want to let people have the same opportunity um, that VCs get to put $5,000 into Uber and it turn into $24 million. That's a real story. There's a guy named Oren Michaels that was allowed to put... Five grand into Uber, and then turn it into twenty-four million dollars. But uh, meanwhile, the, the 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 consensus is you should go spend your money on lottery tickets and try to win the lottery, or go to Vegas and gamble. But uh, you could put two hundred and fifty dollars towards a startup, a thousand dollars, five thousand dollars towards a startup, um, and you have better odds of coming out on top than you do with winning the lottery. It's just you know um, mathematics. Um, even though most startups. Um, struggle. Fan base has performed well above um, most social media platforms. Even a lot of our copycat competitors have either gone out of business that were founded after us or even been acquired by companies um, and then dissolved. So we're holding strong because uh, number one the tech team that I have is phenomenal. My CTO is phenomenal. Um, The business model is phenomenal and it's really disruptive. It's really um, taking advantage of the opportunity to do direct consumer Um, content distribution and monetization. So it's incredible. Robert?
3: I mean, Scott. Sorry, sorry, Scott. You mean Scott? Yeah, Scott.
19: (laughs) Yeah, Scott, I I thought
13: you were abusing me again.
3: Yeah, whatever, whatever. Just stop whining and ask your question.
13: Scott Bolden here. So if I'm an unsophisticated investor, is there a minimum give? And after I give, then is there a process for payout? Or is the idea... You hold the investment until you sell Fanbase, and then I make a bunch
19: of money. Or yeah, so the minimum to invest in yeah, so the minimum to invest in Fanbase is two hundred and fifty dollars, and so this is a seed round investment. So this is no different than if you were investing in Facebook or Apple or Uber or platforms like those. And really, what that means is you're going to ride the life of the company. So there's there's two eventualities to Fanbase, right? Fanbase will be acquired, or it'll go public on the stock market. When that happens, when we're acquired, we just get bought out at a higher valuation than we are now. And currently, fair right. is valued at 85 million dollars. Um, and then either we go we go public on the stock market, and then the day we go public, you sell all your shares at the increased value of the share price at the time that we go public. So that's the difference. Um, now you're just along for the ride, which is typical with any startup um, that people uh, invest in, even in uh, venture capital or angel investors.
3: All right then. All right, tell, again, tell folks where they can go to. Uh, they want to invest in Fanbase. And again,
19: you ain't. You, this is the final raise. Yeah. So um, you can go to startengine.com/slash/fanbase to invest. That's uh, startengine.com/slash/fanbase to invest. And the minimum to invest is two hundred and fifty dollars. Um, we're at about three point four million dollars, and we're closing this round at five million. And when I do programs like these, uh, the raise tends to go viral. I got another interview in the morning um, on about 80 stations nationwide. So I'm really putting uh, out the effort to really go ahead and close this round out in the next week or so. So I am hope to get as many people to invest to tell a friend to tell a friend to go to Start Engine and, and invest in Fanbase. And if you go to StartEngine just startEngine.com you'll actually see Fanbase. We're on the most funded section at the top of the app. I mean at the top of the website when you go in there you'll see Fanbase right at the top of most funded startups. So We've broken records. I am, the, I am the, the the black man that has raised the most amount of money in equity crowdfunding ever. So this is history, um, what's been going on with Fanbase. So I want to make as many people a part of it as I possibly can and give us an opportunity to have equity as opposed to the other guys. All right, then. Isaac, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys, man. All right, folks, quick break.
3: Coming up next we'll check with the international president, Delta Sigma Theta. Uh, they're kicking off their conference in the convention in Indianapolis. And uh, just a few moments ago, they unveiled their seven new honorary members. She'll tell us exactly who they are. Next on Roland Martin, unfiltered on the Blackstone Network.
0: My early days on the road, I've learned, well, first of all, as a musician, uh, I studied not only uh, piano, but I was also drummer and percussion. I was all city percussion as well, so I was one of the best in the city on percussion. There you go. Also studied uh, trumpet, uh, cello, violin, and bass, and any other instrument I could get my hand mm-hmm. on. And 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 with that study, I learned again what was for me. I learned to what what it meant to do what the instruments in the orchestra meant to each other in the relationships. So that prepared me to be a leader. That prepared me to lead orchestras and to conduct orchestras. That prepared me to know, uh, to be a leader of men, they have to respect you and know that you know the music. You have to be the teacher of the music. You have to know the music better than anything. There you go. Right, so you can't walk in unprepared.
8: on the Frequency right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard. We're talking about the ride-or-die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong Black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like you even hear Black women like aspiring to be this ride-or-die chick, aspiring to be the
16: strong Black woman children
8: at their own expense. Next on the Frequency right here on the
14: Black Star Network. I'm Joe Marie Payton, voice of Sugar Mama on Disney's Louder and Prouder Disney+.
3: And I'm with Roland Martin on Unfiltered. Thousands of Deltas are gathering in Indianapolis right now, including my wife, my sister, and a whole bunch of other folks I know, uh, for the Deltas uh, International Conference. Uh, They, of course, there do business. Uh, Also, uh, a thousand vendors are there as well, uh, in addition to covering the business of the organization. Joining us right now uh, is the international president of Delta Sigma Theta uh sorority incorporated yeah i have to add that last part before they get attitude elsie cook holmes elsie glad to have you on the show how you doing
14: glad to be here roland how are you and thank you for having us on the show today
3: doing good doing good so first off uh a few moments ago uh and the story was uh just released uh y'all went through your process where you named seven new members seven new honorary members correct
14: We absolutely did. Today has been an exciting day for us because we officially kicked off our 56th National Convention right here in Indianapolis, Ohio, Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, part of our official opening is the initiation of honorary members. And we're very excited to have seven new honorary members from various fields, if you will, all very accomplished in their uh, respective areas. So we have Rashida Jones, who's president of MSNBC, Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, who is the undersecretary for security and arms control uh, and cybersecurity with the State Department. Uh, We have Channing Dungey, who is president and CEO uh, and chairman of the um, Warner Brothers television division. We have Tamika Ketchings, who uh, is one of the most renowned WNBA players uh, uh, right here, living right here in Indianapolis, but playing 16 seasons with the Indiana Beaver Indiana and broke a lot, a lot of records, and has done so much philanthropic work at, uh, as well. Uh, then we have um, Phyllis Newhouse, who is an entrepreneur, Uh, and uh, does billion-dollar deals and really helps so many and helps women's empowerment, especially women of color as well. We have Deborah Lee, uh, who, for as you know, for a number of years was uh, president of BET. And we're very, very excited to round out that class with Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson. Uh, he's the first African-American U.S. Supreme Court justice. So we are very, very excited. Uh,
3: pretty good. Uh, pretty good lineup there. Uh, and so uh, obviously you're there. First of all, how many deltas do you expect? First of all, how many have registered? How many do you expect to be in Indianapolis?
14: registered for in person. We have almost 13,000. We have over 10,000 registered virtually. So though they won't be heading to Indianapolis, they are joining us. Actually, some of them, I think they are here in the city. So a few of them came, <laughs> but most of them were joining from the, uh, the comforts of their homes as well in their respective uh, places if they were not able to join us in person. So all in all, we'll have an attendance of over 23,000. Uh, and then we have additional guests, and as you mentioned, vendors uh, that bump up that number even farther. So again, we are quite excited.
3: It's been a busy uh, it's been a busy week last weekend. the AKs had their leadership conference in Chicago where they announced yeah. the creation of their uh, their credit union.
10: Work.
3: So my question for you, uh, 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 how much of your agenda is focused on uh, economic power of African-Americans, especially uh, black women?
14: We have one of the key air focus areas. Um, we have two things. So our five-point programmatic thrust uh, includes economic development It has for a number of years. And part of my administration's focus is financial empowerment. Financial fortitude is what it's coined as for us across the life span, regardless of age and to look to build generational wealth. So we have a number of programs that assist entrepreneurs. Yesterday we had our Delta Red Tank competition um, and there were a number of um, awards, monetary awards to help existing businesses as well as new business ventures. Uh, So we have several different, um, several different programs dedicated to entrepreneurs. uh, And we are looking at some other areas as well. And then again, we have a number of programs that uh, really are focused on financial empowerment in our communities, as well as for our members. All right. I do want to mention.
3: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
14: Now, I was just going to say, if I can shift gears a little bit, because we are very focused on financial empowerment. For this administration, we're also very, very focused on the importance of mental health and wellness. So we launched a new program called Live Well. And certainly in this month where we're celebrating minority mental health, Month. This is Minority Mental Health Month. We are amplifying again, lifting up our new program, Live Well, that has uh, that we've had a number of wellness and focus areas on mental health and wellness. Uh, we have wellness Wednesdays. Um, so we look to empower the and The community as well as our members with information and also let them know it's a safe space to really be able to deal with um, any types of mental health uh, issues as well. And I think Um, the final thing I wanted to mention was about social action tomorrow. Right. So So you guys, you got
3: social action uh, tomorrow and normally normally you have Deltas who are speaking, but uh, you have an AKA who's going to be speaking tomorrow.
14: We absolutely do. So two things. First of all, as you know, Delta has social action in our DNA and we have from the very beginning. So social action and DST really are synonymous with each other. Um, But we certainly join with our D9 sisters and brothers because there is power in our collective unity. We are excited to have the Vice President of the United States of America, who happens to be a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, to be our speaker. So the Honorable Kamala Harris will be the speaker for our Social Action Luncheon tomorrow. And that luncheon is always a high point uh, for our convention. Joy Reed... Uh, MSNBC hosted the readout. She is an honorary member for Delta Sigma Theta. She will also be providing the call to action and charge speech toward the end. So we are excited about both speakers, but uh, everyone, as you know, will be welcoming our vice president, where though she wears different D9 colors, we will be very, very happy to welcome the vice president uh, to our midst tomorrow.
3: Questions from the panel real quick. Rebecca, you're first.
14: Um, So just
11: a comment, as a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, um, wish you well on your convention and congratulations on your um, newest grouping of honorary members.
3: Thank you, thank you so much. All right, Robert. Uh, you're what? What'd you say? You played, Robert, Kappa Kappa side the band frat. What you said? Yeah, the band frat. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you you probably played. Right, right. Robert probably plays the band <laughs> frat and the gun frat. Robert, go ahead with your question for LC.
12: Well, I, I have no questions. I simply want to say congratulations on another outstanding year. Delta Sigma Theta is always a strong partner in the movement for social justice, and uh, we absolutely commemorate everything that you have going on. And we uh, look forward to finding out what's going on in the next year uh, and all the outstanding things that the women of Delta Sigma Theta will be doing.
14: Thank you very much. You know, we're gearing up for 2024, so all roads are leading there, and certainly gearing up before then even to partner with other uh, coalition members um, across various coalitions, including the D-I, to support the march on
13: Washington in August as well.
3: Uh, And I guess I'll let the uh, Kappa, Scott Bowler ask a question. Scott.
13: On behalf of every Kappa man in America, we're on our way to Tampa next week, or this week, rather. Congratulations on your convention. I do have a question, though, and that is, uh, I'm sure you've been a longtime member of Delta Sigma Theta. Uh, What makes a great convention, this gathering. On the last day when you leave, what does a successful convention look like to you? A successful convention?
14: It's funny you asked me that because that's what we started with the end in mind, thinking when we were doing our planning. A successful Mm -hmm. convention, being able to not only take care of the business of Delta Sigma Theta, which we know we will do, but to have a memorable experience uh, full of sisterhood, full of connection, full of being able to uh, see saw us from across the miles. It's almost like a reunion, if you will. So to really be able yeah. to have a memorable experience for our members, to be able to take care of the business of Delta. And to be able to leave something back in our community. So part of our uh, convention includes an impact day, which this year is happening over several days, where we are, uh, there are various programs in the community that are going on, including um, a girls empowerment uh, day, which was held yesterday. And there will be additional things going on with that for the balance of the week. There's also um, providing opportunities for backpacks for back to school, but also uh, suitcases full of supplies and clothes and other things for foster children. So there are several different programs that are going on. Our members from all over the country have donated to these programs. And so those um, programs are being done for the benefit of the community right here in Indianapolis. We always have an ecumenical service and appraised worship service, and the funds that are gathered for those offerings are also uh, left here in the city of Indianapolis for various um, nonprofit organizations that we are supporting. All right. So that
3: helps. Well, Elsie, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, good luck uh, on the conference uh, and um, I won't even uh, waste my time checking uh, my bank account to see uh, how smaller it will be after Indianapolis. Uh, there's.
14: We, we like that too, so yeah, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm, going, I'm, going for, I'm going to
9: look for your wife.
3: There's enough Delta stuff in the house, trust me. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Far
9: more. Right. Well, far, far, more than,
3: far more than the alpha stuff I've accrued in 34 years. I'm just saying. All right. I appreciate it, Elsie. Thanks a lot. Good luck. Take care, Roland. All thank right. Uh, that's it. Uh, let me thank uh, Kappa Kappa Psi, uh, Robert. Uh, Robert, I know you played as a gun frat too. So, I mean, I, surely you did.
12: What's a Kappa Kappa?
3: Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, there we go. Then of course uh, we got AKA Rebecca, and then we got that little cap of Scott Bolden. All right, folks. Uh, Big capitals. Uh, yo yo. Uh, that that's enough. Hey, we, we don't need all that. We don't need all. <laughs> Always remember, Alpha's your daddy. Always oh, remember.
13: You Always. Said that at my birthday party and pissed off all the, the noobs at the party. And they huh.
3: all and they all knew Who's it was your true. Daddy? They all Who knew your it was daddy? true. And I also told them, in a present of an alpha, kiss the ring. <laughs> you almost started a riot at my party. Uh, yeah, yeah. 20 kappas, one alpha. That's unfair for the kappas. All right, we got to go. Um, that's it. So tomorrow, folks, uh, I have to. Crazy busy day. Uh, I'm flying out of Houston tonight. I got to go give the eulogy tomorrow. Uh, for uh, my cousin who passed away. I'll be in Houston at uh, the Church Without Walls. Uh, then I fly to Cincinnati for the Cincinnati Music Festival. Uh, we're covering that. We're going to so look for that. We're going to be there with our coverage on the Black Star Network Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then, of course, uh, I'll see my man, uh, Wendell Haskins, for his original T-Golf Classic honoring Gary Sheffield on Sunday. Uh, Then back in the saddle on Monday. We're on the road next week as well. Uh, We'll be at the Alpha Convention. Uh, I'll be uh, participating in making a huge announcement uh, on Wednesday. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll be in Houston covering the convention for the National Urban League. And so a lot of things happening. Your support is crucial for us to do what we do, folks uh i can tell you that right now we we, it is not easy for us to do what we do traveling around the country uh in terms of the amount of money we have to spend it's about covering the stories that matter to you and so that's why it's important so please support us first of all download our app if you want to know exactly what's going on, all of our shows and all of our interviews and the content, the live stuff that we live stream, you can always count on the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Uh, if you want to give, uh, please contribute to our Brina Funk Fan Club. Your dollars are crucial. Uh, our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans on average contributing 50 bucks each. That's $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. Uh, and so we appreciate Everybody who's given a check, money order, uh, you know, Cash App, Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, all of that, it all makes a difference. Uh, I'm going to tell you that point blank uh, because, again, without you, we would not be in business today. So send your check and money orders, to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., Two zero zero three seven dash zero one nine six. Cash app is dollar sign RM unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin unfiltered. Venmo is RM unfiltered. zale is rolling at smartin.com Rolling at unfiltered.com And don't forget to get a copy of my book, White Fear How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. Uh, when you uh, support us and uh, buy that book, that money comes right back into the show. Uh, you can get the book at Ben. Books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indiebound, Bookshops, Chapters, Books a Million, Target. You can also download a copy on Audible. Folks, that's it. I'll see y'all tomorrow. How?
2: Folks, Black Star Network is here. Oh, no!
17: Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood Martin, and
14: I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me
17: each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie.
8: Deborah owens america's wealth coach and my new show get wealthy focuses on the things that your financial advisor and bank isn't telling you but you absolutely need to know so watch get wealthy on the black star network
0: from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast